Hello and welcome to Hugenhoff Podcast, episode 75. Unfortunately, today I do not have Lore on with me because, um, quite honestly, I waited too late in the month to remember to do the podcast and he had work and stuff like that. So that's understandable. Um, We will be going back to the Gilfagini next time he is on. But today I decided I'd go ahead and take a break from that and go over something else. So as you know, I've been doing the Inspired by the Runes series, kind of between other podcasts. So I'm going to continue with that, and we will be ready for Kenneth, I do believe. Now on my website, you can find a short description of it. Kennis, which means torch, uh, it means sight, revelation, and fire, is what I wrote. So that's kind of how I take it. The original rune poems also have some stuff about it, and the one that I like the best is, let's see what this is, the Anglo-Saxon rune poem, I believe. It says, The torch is known to every living man by its pale bright flame. It always burns where princes sit within. And we've sort of been doing this um, history or beginning of people, which again, I'm not going to go into great detail on this because it's things inspired by the runes more than the runes themselves that this theory or series is about. Uh, but we did knowledge and then and then radio or, or taking that knowledge somewhere. And then Kinnis is sort of the knowledge that we're bringing back to whatever. It ends up being a gift for our people, which goes into Gibo and Wonjo, I think. Um, certainly, I'm not an expert on the runes, and there's other interpretations. But this is sort of that um, idea of going out and finding knowledge and bringing it back to the people, or attempting to bring it back to the people. And from that original rune poem, uh, where it talks about Um, a torch. So a torch is a special kind of light. It's the kind of light that you can carry, but it's, it's also a kind of light that, uh, what would you say could be difficult to see and cast shadows and all that other stuff. Um, so this is like, you've gone out into the world and you've discovered something and you're trying to bring it back. And that task can actually be difficult. And we're sort of reminded of, um, Plato's cave here, which I'm sure everybody's familiar with the story, where you start in the cage, cave and you just see shadows on the wall and eventually the person goes out and into the actual sunlight and he sees the sun reflected in the pond and then finally he's able to look up and see the actual sun. And when he comes back to the cave and tells people about what he's discovered, nobody believes him. I'm not going to go into the philosophy of that because that would require an entire series of podcasts in its own right and there are good philosophy podcasts out there but this is not one of them that's not the purpose of this podcast but there are analogies to be drawn between Kenneth and that analogy of the cave um i guess i won't get into all of those except to mention that Kenneth is sort of that rune that means discovering something and then trying to bring it to other people. And some of the difficulties um, pertaining to that, I suppose you'd say. So, 
we all have different experiences and we want to share those experiences. And as you know, Lore wrote a book a while ago. He's actually written a few books and it'd be nice if he was on to talk about this. But again, unfortunately, he's not. And this particular series is really just me. Um, I also wrote a book recently to remind everybody. You can find that at Amazon.com. Just search Byron Rogers Lightbringer. And that link will be in the show notes as well. And I think one of the reasons that you do things like write books or write poems or develop games or whatever thing you're doing is to try to share some experience that you've had with everybody else. And it's difficult if you think a thing, if there's a philosophical principle you believe in or some idea of right and wrong that you have and you just go up to somebody and you say, hey, you, this is the truth of the world. This is how the world works. This is a philosophical principle that is true. This is right and this is wrong. People are not really going to be overly receptive to that. We're all individuals. We all view the world in our own way. And it's hard to even claim that there is a concrete right and a concrete wrong. So if we come down and explain things in that way, people aren't overly receptive to it. And especially in this day and age, but probably in the past as well, philosophy, for example, has always been a relatively small field that has a certain type of person who engages in that and can just sit down and read Kant or Nietzsche or Aristotle and just be like, oh, well, here's a philosophical principle of how the world works or how ethics work. I'm just going to read the straight text and that's and now I'm going to understand ethics better. Usually, those ideas, those morals, um, metaphysical and moral, come down in the form of stories. And that's a less direct way of getting this thing across, but it's still the same principle at the heart. You have something that you want to share with people. You have something you want to bring to other people. And this is the way that you are trying to bring it to those people. Because again, a philosophical treaty is going to reach a lot less people than a really good story. Um, we see in our own lore, in our own history, that we have all these stories that have survived, that have survived because they are great stories in their own right. And that's why people still read them today, and that's why people listen to them in the first place. But they're saying things. A lot of our time on this podcast is spent trying to understand what those stories are saying, trying to understand what the lore is really trying to say, what are the ethical truths hidden in the lore. And sometimes the sagas, we don't focus as much on the sagas, but that's not because they're any less valid. That's just because the lore is our bigger focus here. Um, in the modern world, you see stories like Star Wars and Star Trek and any number of books that you can think of Steinbeck that has some really great principles. Lovecraft, though his principles are a little darker. Um, you see these these books and stories that have these really inner, interesting principles that the author is trying to share with us. Now, as much as I love Lovecraft and Steinbeck, it would be more difficult to read a philosophical treatise that they put out 
um, where it's just their ideas laid bare. I might, because that would actually be kind of interesting, but I think most people want it. And I think more people are directly influenced by a movie like Star Trek or Star Wars. That one's probably more popular. I think, even though Star Trek's better. Anyway, I think most people are more directly influenced by a movie like Star Trek than they are by Kant. One isn't better than the other. One philosophical theory isn't more thought out than the other. And you could make the argument that an author like a philosopher like Kant actually spends more time making his theory um, more clear and more transparent than the philosophy of Star Wars. But nonetheless, Star Wars reaches a larger audience. So when you have discovered something like this, um, when there is a revelation that you've had, obviously you want to share it. You want to share it with your family, but oftentimes you want to share it with the world as at large as well. And sometimes the most effective way to do that is through storytelling. Um, I think a really obvious example is think about the difference between reading a family history, just like looking at, let's say it's your family history, looking at a tree that's your family history and being like, oh, this person was this person's father, who was this person's mother, who was that person's father, and just like going back through a list of names versus hearing little stories, little entertaining stories about these people and then somewhere in the story and be like, oh, and that was my great-grandpa or this and this and this happened and that was my great-grandma or your second cousin or whatever you will remember in my in my um experience you'll remember the relationships in those stories stronger than you will uh if it's just like on a tree and like oh here is the history because i've looked at my family tree and it's interesting and i'd like to spend more time looking at it but i couldn't repeat back most of the names i couldn't tell you I couldn't tell you for the most part who my great-great-great-grandfather on my father's side is. But when there's stories that actually involve people you're related to, then you remember those better. Because the human mind likes stories, um, fictional and otherwise. True stories are better in some ways. Fictional stories have benefits in some ways. There's just something about stories that we really like. And I think that is a great way to convey some of this like knowledge and lessons that we have learned in our own lives is through the art of, of storytelling. And it doesn't have to be storytelling. I happen to be on that storytelling kick because this is, is an Austrue podcast and we're very into the lore. We're reading the Gilfagini right now. We were talking about some of these other sagas tangentially, and stories and written literature are pretty much the biggest part of what we talk about here. Um, even stories of the gods, like the story of Odin drawing the nine runes out of the well. That's a good story in its own right. You know, it's it, it's a good story. It's enjoyable to read. You're like, is he going to draw them out of the well. Why is he doing this? Why are they so important? All of those questions are there. And what's beautiful about that story is they're not directly answered. They're 
you, there's not a passage that's a passage in that story that says, and knowledge is very important to Odin because that is part of his nature. It's it's part of the story, and it feels more real in a lot of ways, and it's more approachable when you do like a philosophical treatise. It is by design very abstracted from the person. It's not me as an individual saying, oh, here's this thing that personally affected me, maybe it'll also personally affect you. It's it's trying to take the human component out of that, which really does have a lot of power because then you can really examine those beliefs under a microscope, so to speak. And I definitely encourage everybody to study philosophy and look at philosophy and view your own beliefs philosophically. And part of that is looking at it in a detached way. You know, if there's a situation where you're like, did I do the right thing? It's very difficult to say, no, I did the wrong thing, because you're going to look at it through your own personal experience of what happened. Whereas if you're like, here's a philosophical principle, does it make sense? And then you think about it and you're like, okay, yes, this philosophical principle is sound. Now let me apply it to a situation that I did and see if what I did was right or wrong. Then being honest with yourself, you'll be able to say, well, I did actually make a mistake that time. And you know, that's happened to me where I'll have a philosophical principle that I understand intellectually, spend time trying to understand intellectually, and then I'll apply it to my own life and be like, oh, well, it turns out in this situation, I didn't really make the best decision. And that's good. That's a learning experience because then you can say, okay, that was a mistake. I can learn from that and move on. Um, So I don't want to downplay or not appreciate philosophy. That's not the goal of what I'm trying to do. But what I am trying to say is powerful stories can make us on a deep level understand something that perhaps we didn't understand before. And it's not using the same mechanism of that like introspection and and more importantly trying to understand something intellectually. It's using a more personal connection. And I think sometimes that is the way that we have to pass this information down um, to our friends and, and even to our children. I will sometimes sit down with my kids and have philosophical conversations and say like, hey, why do you think some things are right and some things are wrong? And I'm like, well, here's my belief of of morality. Here's what I think is right and what I think is wrong in here is why. Those are fun conversations. I don't know if the girls really get much out of them because they are so abstract and alien to the way, especially a child would interact with the world, but really just any person would interact with the world. They're so cerebral, it's hard to turn around and apply those to everyday situations. Another thing that I do, and I'm sure most people do, and I actually think is the best approach, is to tell your kids stories. I tell them stories about the gods, which is great, um, but also just the books that I read to them at night, or even the TV shows we watch. You know, I, when they get a new book, I'll usually read the book, regardless, unless for some reason is wildly inappropriate, but I have not actually had that happen, um, 
people don't give me kit books that are not appropriate for my kids. And I'm not going to pick up an adult book, and I mean like a book written for adults, like a science fiction book or a fantasy book, and just start reading it to the kids, because I know that's not appropriate. Uh, but, you know, we get kids' books from aunts and uncles and grandmas, and I'll usually sit down and read it with them, and sometimes I don't like the message in the book. I'm like, okay, I'm smart enough to know what message they're preaching here, and I don't agree with that. And with those books, I usually don't read them again. I'll put the book away, or I won't encourage it, or whatever. There's all sorts of ways to distract kids with good books, so you're not forced to read them those bad books. So I really don't read books to the kids that I disagree. Now, obviously, when they are older, they they certainly have every right to read books, even if I don't agree with the content. I don't want to get into the habit of censoring what my kids read. But I don't have to actively engage and implicitly support something that I don't agree with. So if it's a book that I don't agree with, it's it's going to be something that I probably don't read. And if they do choose to read them, you know, I'll be like, well, I don't agree with it for these reasons, though certainly it's your right to read it if you don't so desire, but understand that this is where I'm coming from. But anyway, to get back to the point, the point is I'm careful about the books that I watch with the kids and the TV shows that I watch with the kids because I think the storytelling is one of the best ways to understand more complex things that are going on in the universe. Um, Because there's a lot of complex stuff going on in the world. Morals, for example, are very tricky. Like, honesty is one that I subscribe to. But it's fair to ask, well, why not just lie all the time? And you can make the argument that, you know, it's like, well, sure, if you lie all the time, some people will think you're doing the wrong thing, but maybe you don't think you're doing the wrong thing. And and you can make the argument that in a roundabout way, line breaks autonomy, which we had an episode on 8.5, I think. Anyway, you can make the argument that, you know, in essence, you, you can't get informed consent if they don't have all the information, and line is purposely withholding that information. So you're taking their ability to make an informed decision away from them. But you could actually argue, if you wanted to, well, autonomy is nothing special, because most of my morality, as people who have listened to the show for a while know, comes down to autonomy. I... Uh, I, I try to do things that enhance morale or enhance autonomy or self-governance, the ability to make your own decisions. And I try not to do things that detract from that. But you could make the argument philosophically that, well, autonomy isn't good. As a matter of fact, we should limit autonomy. That's my moral prerogative. And I can turn around and say, well, a world where autonomy is limited would be terrible and people would be stealing and society would collapse. And you could turn around and say, well, I think chaos is better than order. So at that point in time, you're like, well, whose moral theory is better? It seems that mine's better to me, but is that not because it's the one I subscribe to? So it's hard sometimes to philosophically sit down and really come up with great reasons to do what you do when you start questioning these a priori principles. But the story 
seems able to bypass all of that because you can tell a story about someone who does the your version the quote-unquote right thing and someone who does the quote-unquote wrong thing and and not sit there as an author saying well this person is immoral and this person is moral but you can just take the person through that experience the experience of someone who does the wrong thing is often an unpleasant one and villains in books Oftentimes, it's not so much that the author sits there and says, well, this here is the bad guy, and you should probably hate him because I'm the author and I'm God of this universe that I created. It's usually, here's the villain, but as you learn about him, as you understand how he thinks, he becomes repulsive, and you would never want to be such a person. And they're like, oh, and here's the heroine. And, and, and as you read about her and learn what her story is and why she does the things she does and, and how she lives her life, you're like, well, this is somebody I respect. This is something I would want to emulate. Someone I would want to emulate. So in that way, the stories are really powerful because they don't have to sit down and say, this is right, this is wrong. They take you to a... They take you through that experience, and they have you come to the same... The the goal of the author, oftentimes, is to take you through the same experience they've come and have you come to the same conclusions on your own. Um, And every book is different, obviously. Some authors just want to create an experience and see what you come to on your own. And that's great. I totally respect that. Um, But a common thing, and I I think especially common in the lore and and the sagas, is the idea that you want to be taken through this story and then on your own, through the journey, come to the same conclusions that the author has come to. So that's a different way of teaching, but one that I think can be very um, effective. So another thing that I I would say... uh, a lot of this stuff that we learn through our lives that we want to pass on to our kids or, or, or our friends or the world at large, whatever it might be, a lot of this stuff that we learn through our lives is very experiential. Um, I, I don't want to say that all knowledge is experiential because certainly some of it can be gleaned from books and understood through research and reading other people's research and stuff like that. But there's some things that you can't really tell in that way. You can't have a research project on why love exists. You know, you can read all day long about how how love works and be like, oh, and these are the chemicals that are involved in love, and this is the evolutionary processes behind why we fall in love and you can understand all of that intellectually but you still won't understand love because it's a very hard concept to grasp unless you've been in love but if you've been in love it's the most clear self-evident thing ever you're like oh yeah obviously i know what love is i don't have to think about that that's not a challenge i understand it but because you've been through it And I think some of the most important things in the world, the most important lessons to learn, love being one of them actually, are things that can only be experienced. Um, In my meditation series, I believe I mentioned a lot that a lot of the stuff there was very personal and you had to experience it to really understand it. And there 
there were a lot of things that I didn't go into great depth because I was like, I can talk all day long about this, but it's not going to make any sense until you've actually been through the experience. And meditation is one of many things that you have to go through the experience to really understand. But the problem with that is equally... I can sit here and talk all day long and say like, oh, you need to fall in love because love is a great thing. And you can fall in love if you want to. It's not like you have to do that. I do think love is a great thing. Um, But I can sit here all day long and say, oh, you have to fall in love to understand this experience is the best thing ever, blah, blah, blah. You're not really convinced because due to its indescribable nature, I can't describe to you how it's good and why you should turn around and do it. So I have, and I'm just using love as the example, not because it's it's even the best example, because it's the one I happened upon. I want to teach the world love, let's say, or teach the, the world to fall in love. And, okay, so... So I try to just tell it to people. They're going to be like, well, okay, you say it's great, but lots of people say lots of things are great. Why should I believe this? And it's like, well, I can't explain why you should believe it. You should just trust me. Just believe it because I say it's great. But I I can't portray that because I don't have the... There's not some intellectual way to say, and this is why love is a thing you should experience. Maybe there's intellectual ways to say this is why love happens quote-unquote and these are the endorphins you'll get if you fall in love but that's not convincing you're not really getting at the heart of what love is because the the endorphins are quite possibly the side effect of love not the other way around Uh, that's a philosophical argument i won't broach today so so how do I convince people that love is a good thing and you should try to find a wife and have kids so you can experience this on your own? Well, since I can't explain it intellectually, one other method I could do is tell stories. And there's all sorts of stories in the lore about people falling in love. Um, I mean, God's actually falling in love. There's all sorts of stories in the saga about people falling in love and and, and what people will do for their family, be that their wives and husbands, or off, oftentimes be that their children. Uh, that's that's a, a really good example. Like the love for a child is something that is really hard to explain. Um, it's just as powerful as the love for your partner, but it's not the same it's different. And like, how is it different? It's like, well, I, I I can't sit down and explain to you how it feels. The love of a partner versus the love of a child feels different. And they're both equally a good thing that everyone should experience. But really, I can't describe what that feeling is like. So, so if I want people to experience multiple types of love, like the love of a sibling, or I mean the love of a of a spouse and also the love of the child. How do I even explain that those two things are different? Couldn't you argue like, well, I'm already married. I know what love's like. I'm, I'm not even going to bother with having a kid. So I'm, I'm good. I, already, I know love all the way around. And 
intellectually, I can't just sit down and be like, yeah, but loving a kid is different, and here's X, Y, and Z reasons. So, if that's knowledge that I have gained in my life, and I want to pass that on to someone else, one way I could do that is through the medium of story. Quick side note, my story is not about love. Not a lot of loving characters in there. Um, That's not actually what I'm trying to share with people. But some people do. Steinbeck especially. Uh, The Love of Your Fellow Man comes up in Grapes of Wrath and some of his other books. And and there's some really powerful messages there. But through, through a story and through you going on this journey with these other people, you can have an idea of what love really is all about through their actions, the way they interact with people, um, what they do for people. And you sort of get to know the characters. Obviously, they're fictional, but they behave like real people. You get to know these people and you can share some amount of love with them. You can love them, obviously, not nearly as much as you'd love your actual child, but you can still have a have a legitimate connection to a fictional character and get a taste of what it is that this author is trying to share with you. So um, I, I think that's a really powerful thing that we should totally embrace as people when we try to, when we learn something, when we get this fire or this passion or this guiding light as Kenneth is, how do we pass that on to other people? What mediums are we going to use to pass that on? And actually, before I end, I absolutely want to mention music, because that's a great example. You can read song lyrics, or you can know what a song's about. You're like, this song's about being mad. This song's about wasting your youth, or this song's about wasting potential. The Offspring, personal favorite band of mine, um, talk about uh, wasted potential a lot, and the idea that these these small towns can just swallow up people with great potential who are potentially really great people, or that's how I take it a lot in, in a lot of their songs. And putting that on paper just seems like a boring statistic. It's like, oh, a lot of people who had a lot of potential ended up dropping out of high school or doing drugs all day or having kids at 16. It's like, okay, those things happen. I've seen the news. But when you put it in, in, in a musical context and you, you listen to a song about it, especially if you've seen similar situations yourself, that can be really powerful and be like, okay, I really understand the tragedy of this. Maybe even you've seen it yourself and you're like, dumb guy ruining his own life. Why would you do that and have no sympathy? But if you put in a musical context and music created by someone who did see the tragedy in it, you can also see like, well, I'm not saying he's blameless, but, but also I'm allowed to feel bad about this. And maybe I should feel bad about this. Maybe it's a tragic tale and I shouldn't be so cold. And it's, just a different way of telling it because a a song is in many ways a short story taking you through these ideas that the artist has had um, and letting you 
go down that same thought path and and feel some of those same emotions and of course music itself is is very emotional i mean music is hugely connected with emotions most people will have a song or two that will you know have an emotional effect when they hear it not necessarily they're just going to uncontrollably break down into tears but most people when they hear a special song and if it's because something special happened with that they heard the song the first time or or maybe just it's a really powerful song will have some sort of emotional uh, connection to songs and I think there's a lot of songs that I've heard at least and I think this is common there's a lot of songs that you'll hear them the very first time they'll be like wow that was that was powerful I feel whatever emotion is appropriate to feel here one of the reasons I love classical music is so many other types of music rely on words which is fine I think poetry is also something really great and putting music with words is a great idea I don't want to go away but one of the things I like about classical music is it's just purely an emotional experience where you can sit down and listen to a classical song and just be overcome by just pure emotion so music is very good at that and and a very powerful tool to express yourself in that way um, art is too. I don't want to say that like sculpting and painting don't have the same powers because they certainly do. But the thing that all these arts have in common is that they are passing on something that you've learned or something that you've felt that really can't be passed on in any sort of intellectual way. It's taking these indescribable experiences and giving you an approximation of them. They're not trying to describe what they felt because the artist knows that's not possible. Instead, they're trying to make you feel the same thing. Even if it's to a lesser degree, they're trying to make you feel what they felt. Um, And I think that's really great. I think it's great that people will do that if it's with books or music or movies or or poetry, or painting, or however they do that, I think is absolutely a great thing that people are willing to try to share the experiences they have had in those other ways. Um, And I do have a background in philosophy. When I was in college, I took a bunch of philosophy courses and got a degree in that. So I don't want anybody to think I'm some sort of philosophy hater and I think we should shut down all the philosophy departments in the world because I don't. I like philosophy. I very much enjoyed it. This is not what I did as a career for obvious reasons, like you can't really have a career in philosophy. Uh, That's not true. You can. You can go on to teach. But I decided that is not what I wanted to do with my life. But my point is it, it was one of my first passions and I like it and I absolutely think it has a place and I absolutely think people should pursue philosophy because there's a lot of good that can come from it. But also, I don't think that everything can be broken down into words in in a philosophical sense. I don't think that philosophers can capture every experience that's out there and some of truly the most powerful experiences and the most powerful lessons to be learned out there and feelings to be felt out there are things that cannot be described 
by philosophers, they can't be described in a straightforward manner. And I know some people who've read a little bit of philosophy may find it funny that I am calling philosophers straightforward, but really the goal of a philosopher is to be straightforward. They are presenting you their ideas. They are hard to follow sometimes because they're complex ideas and they're trying to, you know, close all the loopholes because you know someone is going to look over your work and be like, oh, well, what about this or that? But they are still, in a pure sense, putting their ideas and just their ideas forward in a relatively abstract manner. Generally, some philosophers have done it different and there's been some changes in philosophy, but, but that's oftentimes how they're doing it. And that's great, and it has its place. But there are some things that I really don't think can be portrayed that way. Um, Ironically, going against what I just said, if we look at the very beginning of this conversation, when I mentioned Plato and his allegory of the cave, was a philosopher using a story to get a principle across instead of just simply stating words um, in like a straightforward manner. So... There you go. Um, Poetry and storytelling often does mix with philosophy. But I think that in a lot of ways, the storytellers and the poets can teach us, can teach more people more about some of these philosophical truths that I think are very important to learn. Also, let's not leave religion out, since it's an Austro podcast. Um... I think that the stories, the lore, the stuff like that can teach us, oftentimes teach us more about the gods than trying to understand those in a very straightforward, intellectual way. Studying Odin or Thor or Frigga or whoever and just writing out, these are the characteristics. Uh, Freya, she's related to Kat, she's about this and that. You know, that can be useful. But it doesn't really under, it doesn't really explain the god or the goddess that you're trying to work with. Just having an encyclopedia of all the different characteristics of a particular deity is not going to let you understand that deity better. What will is reading their stories and honestly reading their stories, not sitting down. You know, what we do on this podcast is not how you should read a story for the first time. You shouldn't sit down and be like, okay, let's dissect this. And and try to find out the hidden meaning or the deeping me- deeper meaning or whatever. The first time you sh- read these stories should be like, well, I want to know what happens next. That's where stories really excel, and that's the indescribable. That's where the indescribable things are described. Uh, so I think those stories are really power in a religious context. You know, sometimes there's this idea that when you go to a religious ceremony and and every kindred does things different. Maybe some people do this and maybe it works for them. Definitely not telling you you're right. The way that you approach the gods is 100% your decision and there's not a right and the wrong way. But I think there can oftentimes be this like idea that you go to upload and there's just this like sermon for half an hour about why Odin is important or or why Frigga is important. And I don't think, in my opinion, that is not the most effective way to do it. A more effective way to do it is to tell a story about 
whichever deity you happen to be honoring that night. And, and through that story, let the story explain the thing that you're going to be going over. And then as, as the actual bloat and the subsequent symbols come, across, come around, go, more, go into more depth with your own stories. But again, you know, sometimes it's about saying, like, and this God's about this, and I think that's important because that. But sometimes it's just about remembering a story that you've been through or a thing that you've been through or honoring somebody who did the right thing in the same way that Thor did the right thing in this story and and through your own stories bolstering the importance of what the bloat is really about. Um, sometimes it's important to admit that we can't describe things in words. As, as amazing as our brains are and as wonderful as our intellect is, sometimes you need something more to really get the true message across because the words aren't enough. Even the th- thoughts, quote-unquote, in the strictest sense of, of thoughts, some of the intellectual thoughts are not enough to really explain w- what it is that, that you're talking about. You know, again, kids are a great example. I can say I love my kids all day long. I can tell you why it's important to love your kids, why humanity would go extinct if they didn't love their kids, why it's morally necessary to treat your kids right. I can say all of that stuff, but that doesn't describe why I love my kids. A story with a child in it and someone protecting and caring for that child will explain the love of a child far more. The story of Balder and what Frigga and Odin did to try to save them explains what the love of a child is far more than all of the podcasts I've done where I talk about kids, which is a lot put together. That one story still describes that feeling of loving a child far better than I could just, you know, talking in a quote-unquote intellectual manner. So I think that's going to about wrap it up because I actually plan to keep this one rather short because my my own ones where I'm not on with Laura I usually keep short because I have a tendency to ramble if I try to hit an hour, so I just don't try to hit an hour. I usually go for half an hour, but uh, I went like 40 minutes, so... So I guess I cared about this one. No, I care about all of them. Um, I guess I had a lot to say about this one. So I, I hope I didn't ramble. Hopefully you enjoyed it. I will just leave you with the thought that in our lives, when we go on our own journeys and we find that light of truth, we want to bring it back. We don't want to let it dwindle and die. We want to share it with those people that we love. That is an absolutely worthy, noble goal. It's also a very difficult one to achieve. So to the people who who find a way to share that through song, through story, whatever it is, to the people who describe something indescribable, hail to them. I think it's great that they do that. And I, I think that can be a goal for all of us. We can all try to do that. We can all try to find ways to share these experiences that we've had and not try to just label and categorize our lives, but to truly, to truly share 
the spirit of who we are and what we've done. So with that, I will say thank you very much for listening. I do believe I forgot to mention everything at the top, so I'll do that here at the bottom. I wrote a book. It's at Amazon, Byron Rogers, Lightbringer. There'll be a show in, there'll be a link in the show note. You should definitely buy it and read it if you want to, but definitely buy it. No, I'm kidding. It's um like fantasy sci-fi. If you're into that, check it out. Uh, Lore has written lots of books. I'll have a link to his stuff in the show notes as well. I think Walk On is his most recent. Uh, what else? About the podcast, of course. If you want to check out the podcast, you can find everything you need to know on my website, which is hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. I've got the podcast. I've got some rune stuff if you want a quick reference. Um, yeah, mostly this podcast and the rune stuff. If you had emails, questions, concerns, topics for a show, send those to huguenotpodcast at gmail.com. All of that is on the website. Oh, and do remember to subscribe to the RSS. A monthly podcast is very easy to forget. So subscribe to the RSS and it will be downloaded to your podcast player of choice automatically. All right. Thank you, everyone, for bearing with Thank you, everyone, for bearing with me. Thank you for listening, and have a great month. I will talk to you next month. Fra hail.